I'm not in a position to give an assessment of whether or not the U.S. should cut its foreign aid to anybody. What I can say is that it is rather paradoxical that the president wants to do this because, at least publicly, he seems to be using it as a stick to punish these countries because of the number of people who are leading them towards the United States. Immigration has been a contentious topic in the United States for a few years now. However, the dialogue has for some time focused on legal versus illegal immigration. Yet in very recent years, the focus has shifted not only to criminalizing illegal immigration into the United States, but also curtailing legal immigration altogether. We see this in the current discussion around asylum seekers, especially those who are migrating from Central America, trying to escape horrid conditions there. Our today's guest, Jorge Valencia, will give us insight into the situation at the southern border. Jorge is the correspondent from KJZZ Phoenix. He joined in August 2016 as the station's first senior field correspondent based in Mexico City. His reporting focuses mainly on the businesses and economics between Arizona and Mexico. He has been the recipient of multiple journalism awards for his work in radio and in newspapers. Jorge has seen firsthand the hardships that asylum seekers on the southern border have to face to migrate into the United States. And we welcome him to another episode of the Alien Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Sadia Khan. Welcome, Jorge. So good to have you on my show. Hey, Sadia. Thanks for the invitation. So let's jump right into it. We'll start with the situation at the U.S.-Mexico border. Can you help us separate fact from fiction? You were recently in Mexico where a lot of asylum seekers are waiting their turns to be processed into the United States. What did you see there and how were the conditions? Well, I, so I'm based in Mexico City, so I'm in Mexico permanently. And where I traveled to in the last few weeks was to... Mexico's border with Guatemala. And the reason why I went there is because uh, Mexico's immigration policy is being very much impacted by, by U.S. immigration policy and the fact that, that the president of the United States is keeping it on basically on the agenda. And Mexico is between a, a rock and a hard place because Mexico has for a long time and continues to be a thoroughfare for people who want to reach the United States by land. And it used to be many years ago that certainly the migration was largely, it was from Mexico. I mean, the most recent waves we've had were like 80s, 90s, and the early aughts. But now uh, Mexico is sort of net zero or even negative. There's more people returning from the U.S. to Mexico than there are people going from Mexico to the U.S. So for the most part, what is happening is just populations of people traveling, entering southern Mexico, through Guatemala to the, the southern state of Chiapas. And for the most part, they are people who are from what we call the Northern Triangle of Central America, which is Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. Hmm. And within that group, I mean, I would say overall of the migrants that are entering, at least according to the government numbers, I mean, more than half of the people overall are coming from Honduras. And we talk, we could talk in a minute if you want about what might be the reasons why so many people from Honduras. But also there are many people who are coming from much farther away. The people from Cuba, which seems like it's 
pretty close because we had until a few years ago people that would get on rafts to float all the way to Florida. But in reality, Cuba is very far because people fly to the closest country that they can get to that the Cuban government will allow them to go to and where they won't need a visa. And that is in South America. And then they travel from there by land. Similarly, I met people who are from uh, Central Africa, people who are from, from Southern Asia. And so what is happening is that the Mexican government is basically slowing down the flow of migrants. They're, they're keeping them in, in official government camps. And then those official camps are overflowing. There are makeshift camps outside of the official camps. There are people just camped out on in public parks or, or on streets. And so this is, at least so far this year, this is how this has sort of become an extension of what's happening at the U.S.-Mexico border. The President Donald Trump has made very clear public demands of Mexico to stop people from getting to the U.S. border because immigration is in custody. Well, actually, I mean, I won't, I won't dare surmise why he's doing it, but what is happening is that immigration is in customs enforcement is overwhelmed with like with asylum ap- applicants. And, and that is even though there is a very large backlog of people who are on the Mexican side of the Mexico-US border from all countries from, from around the world, like some of the countries that I just mentioned, who are waiting to apply for asylum in the US. And so yeah, ICE is overwhelmed uh, with, with, with these applications. Meantime, President Trump is making these demands of Mexico to stop people from reaching the US border. And so, and then in practice, what is happening on the ground, which is what I went to go see, find out for myself to see what was happening, is that these sort of camps that have existed for many months in border cities on the Mexican side, primarily Tijuana, which is across from San Diego, or, or Mexicali, which is across from Calexico, California. Now we're seeing those camps, similar types of camps with, with similar just squalid uh, conditions in southern Mexico. So, Jorge, a couple of things here. One, when we talk about the numbers, because it seems to me that the current U.S. administration is presenting this as a national security issue, as border crisis. Have the numbers changed from subsequent years? That's my first question to you. And then the second, again, you mentioned a few countries. You mentioned Guatemala. You mentioned Honduras, El Salvador. Are like the numbers, have the numbers increased in the recent months or has this been consistent with the previous years? I think that if you, well, I know, I mean, if, if you look at the literature at academics who study migration to the U.S. very seriously, people who study the border and the border crossings, economics at the border, you will see that people uh, trying to reach the United States, this is not... This is so far, this, this is in no way, there's no evidence that this is representing a national security issue for the United States. Mm-hmm. If anything, Mexico has been an ally uh, for the United States in safeguarding the U.S.'s homeland security. Just one very easy example for that is that Mexico shares basically any, any type of like the passengers list uh, for people on planes, basically Mexico like shares like free willingly with the United States, like all like the foreign flights that Mexico's getting for people who in some way, presumably if you're in Mexico, you could, it's more easy for you to enter the United States. Mexico shares all this information with the United States. Mexico has for a long time been a national security ally for its Northern neighbor. So there is no evidence of that regarding numbers. I guess what I can say uh, assertively is that in Mexico, where people from Northern and Central America are, are entering overwhelmingly with the intention 
uh, reaching the United States. There had, Mexico has continued to see an increase of people who are trying to reach the United States. And there, there has been an increase of people from Honduras. I mean, at this rate, which we are almost halfway through the year, Mexico is is on track to almost double, at least according to the, to the government figures, to more than double mm-hmm. the number of applications that it gets for what is colloquially referred to as humanitarian visas from people who are entering Mexico. And largely people request these visas mostly so they can transit legally through Mexico, which makes it safer for them to transit through Mexico because there, there are many risks involved with the journey that they're Certainly, there are some people who, who use these humanitarian visas and they do stay in Mexico and they do seek employment and seek to, to find like legal residency in, in Mexico to stay working here. But overwhelmingly, these visas are for people who people use them to try to get to the United States. And Mexico is on track to more than double the number of applications that it got last year. So what, what you're saying and what I'm hearing here is that it seems more like a humanitarian crisis than a national security crisis. Yeah, I think that's a good way to characterize it, for sure. So recently, President Trump announced that he wants to cut all foreign aid to El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Slashing foreign aid is absolute last thing he should be doing, right? Because it runs counter to efforts to address root causes behind migration. People migrate because of poverty, because of economic hardships, because of criminal gangs. Do you think that's a good policy and how will that impact the numbers I'm not in a position to give an assessment of whether or not the U.S. should cut its foreign aid to anybody. What I can say is that it is rather paradoxical that the president wants to do this because he is using the foreign aid to, uh, for these countries as a stick to, at least publicly, he seems to be using it as a stick to punish these countries because of the number of people who are leaving them towards the United States. When most of this aid is aimed at like economic development in this region, right. which in turn, presumably, if it is successful, it would generate employment, which is one of the main reasons that people cite for le- the many people who have who have who I've met. The one of the most the common denominators, people don't have economic opportunities, and so that's why that's why they're fleeing. So it is certainly paradoxical that the president is saying this. I mean. If the president has a grasp of the very simple equation, then it would seem that he's doing so or saying so more for rhetorical purposes than for actual practical purposes of trying to achieve what he says that he wants to achieve. And along the same lines, he's he's also ordered that asylum seekers should be charged a fee. That, again, as you mentioned, is paradoxical because people who are fleeing persecution can probably not pay for their asylum applications. What kind of impact do you see happening because of this? Well, exactly what the president's objective with basically charging people for this. Uh, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say what exactly what the, what the president's objective is, but is it going to make it harder people f- for people? For sure. I, I mean, look, Sadi, I mean, like when you are out going to places where, where, where migrants travel through or migrants stay during their journey and you get to meet people, it is very sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, the conditions that people are in and the conditions that people are leaving are abysmal. And look, I'll just, I'll give you an example. And this is just like a, this is like a very average example. I mean, I'm not even looking for like an extreme scenario. This is super common. I, I met in Chiapas, among the people that I met was, was this 
this family, the, the wife's name was Hesia, uh, the husband's name was Silvino. They're, they're in their late 30s. Mm-hmm. They are from the country. They're from a rural part of like north, northern Honduras. And they, neither of them finished elementary school. Both of their parents are farmers. Uh, Silvino is, is a farmer. Uh, Hesia is a, stays at home as a caretaker for their daughter. And they were basically, they were, they were just like going, like they were going hungry. I mean, they were really, really struggling to get by. And what Silvino did sometimes in between between harvests is that he would get used clothes and he would go door to door to sell them. And then he was robbed by a gang and this that was present in this small town of whatever little money he had. And at that point, he became very scared of ever doing it again. And this was like just something that he did to like make ends meet in between the little money that he was, the very little money that he was already making. So these people are desperate Mm -hmm. and they got money together. They got on a bus, which took them part of the way from Honduras and and into Guatemala. And then they walked for three days. I mean, we're talking like this is you're going up mountains, you're going into very hot areas where it's like hot and humid, you're walking for like 15 hours a day. It is brutal. And they did it for three days straight and they got into Mexico, which is where I met them and where I walked with them for a few hours. And they hadn't eaten for three days. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, you know, <laughs> how easy is it going to be for these people to pay even for? a $10 fee, which is, which I don't know exactly how much the, the president's proposing or will do, but even, even if it's something like $10, I mean, it is, or a hundred dollars. I mean, that's something that could be like a, an unsurmountable fortune for them. So is it going to be, make it difficult for, and this is the average family because many families are making this, this journey together. This is an average case, it's not an extreme case. So mostly for the most of these people, it's going to become exceedingly more difficult for them to apply. And the conditions that you're describing, Jorge, these these are in Mexico. But then even those migrant children, women, men who who have passed, like who've crossed the border, who are in U.S., are also they are being kept in terrible conditions. We just recently heard that a 16-year boy, Guatemalan boy, died in the U.S. custody. Why do you think immigration detention can be so deadly? And what's going on at those detention centers? Because this is, I think, the third kid who has died in U.S. custody? Well, I, and this is actually a little bit outside of my expertise, like detention in the U.S. What, what I mean, what I've learned from my reporting, uh, interviewing people who have been in detention centers prior to deportation to, to Mexico and Central America, is that the, the conditions are, are abysmal. And they have, in some of these detention centers, they have there are like parts of the detention centers that they call like the icebox or la hielera, mm. they refer to it in Spanish, that are just places that are freezing and people are there for days. So the conditions at these detention centers are abysmal. And then also, it's just kind of confusing that people are being held in detention centers as if they had committed a violent offense mm. when in most of these cases, perhaps... I mean, either they enter the United States seeking asylum, or if there are people who enter the United States without authorization, they committed a civil infraction, which is what crossing the border without a visa is. So yeah, hearing about a boy dying in a detention center is is just, I don't know, disheartening at best, but in reality, it's just infuriating. And also, I don't think there is any other way to seek asylum 
then to be at the border and then apply. Like when people say that, oh, they should seek asylum while they are in their country, wherever they are living, that's not possible, correct? In theory, it is. You could go, you could travel to the the closest U.S. embassy or consulate wherever you live and petition there and then you could wait. But these are waits that are last months or years. So in theory, you could, but in, in practice, when somebody is in a position in which they are seeking asylum, they, they're seeking shelter, refuge somewhere else, it is because they are desperate and situations are dire. So in practice, in most cases, not really. Yeah. And again, what Trump administration is asking Mexico to do is to hold these migrant migrants indefinitely until their case is processed by uh, an immigration judge. And that could take, like, they could be detained indefinitely if that happens. And and that could lead to a lot more incidents like what we are seeing right now. So, like, do you see any solution? Oh my gosh, Sadia, I wish that I had, that I, that I had an idea for what a solution could be other than just speaking less of a reporter, just as a human being, hoping for like a humane treatment of people when, they, when they're applying for asylum in the United States so that they are not held in conditions in which they are freezing for, for days or weeks or in which children are dying or children are being separated from their parents. But what is the solution? I, I wish I could answer that, but I can't. Jorge, as a journalist, your job is to seek the truth, right? And report back factual information to the public. Has this become harder under this administration? Do you now see yourself having to debunk a lot of misinformation that is out there, and especially on the issue that we are talking about? Yes. Well, but I, I think this isn't unique to immigration policy. I, I think this is just overall with our current presidency. I, I think he, our, our president is, and his surrogates are, tend to be cavalier with the facts. One example in which I saw it like very clearly a few days ago was some White House, I was reading some White House documents that were talking again about Mexico's immigration policy, which has impacts on, on the U.S. and vice versa. And the White House's position was that people are continuing to arrive to the U.S.-Mexico border because Mexico is unwilling to cooperate with them. And I mean, if you look at least like what is happening in the ground, perhaps it seems like Mexico is, I don't know if Mexico, Mexican immigration authorities are doing their best to keep people from traveling north, but it certainly seems like they are, like they are trying. So yeah, it is a regular task of trying to inform our, our listeners of this is what the president says. And like, we should acknowledge that he's saying it because he is the president and a lot of people are hearing it or people are believing it. But what is happening in, in reality is quite different. And what saddens me the most about this cry, this issue is that nobody is looking at the human cost. And I'm talking about human cost of migrants. Everybody talks about in the context of national security crisis or illegal immigration, and there is too much focus on illegal. However, we know that seeking asylum is, <laughs> is a legal process. It's, there's nothing mm-hmm, illegal yeah. about that. What can, in your opinion, public do to help spread more accurate information about asylum seekers and those fleeing violence in general? Well, I think at the very least, I mean, if it's somebody who just has sort of like a cursory interest in 
mobile populations or in people who are new Americans or just in fairness, I mean, I think that people could at the very least just inform themselves of the difference between somebody who is asylum applicant who, who might be seeking like a refugee status to somebody who entered the United States legally or illegally. There are many, many differences. And in fact, I was reminded of that a moment ago that you're, that you were familiar in your question because it's, there are very different categories. And for example, if this boy, if this boy arrived to the United States seeking asylum or his parents arrived to the United States seeking mm-hmm. asylum with him, and he is an asylum applicant. He is somebody who was seeking refuge from whatever right. conditions that they were claiming. And so just, I think at the very least, I think people, if they're interested in this, even at least on a superficial level, just like inform yourselves of like what the very basic facts are. Right. And unfortunately, nowadays, I think facts are hard to find. So that's another issue that people are are struggling with because there is so much misinformation and it's easier to have access to misinformation as easily as factual information. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I think it's it, it just takes, you know, a search engine and and being discerning and being a, l- a little bit patient. Yeah, sure. There, there's a lot. Of, I mean, I think if you... If you just go with whatever information is arriving to you, then perhaps, I mean, depending on whatever, wherever you get your information from, then yeah, you might be getting a lot of things that are wrong or are stilted. But if you pursue it, I mean, I think it just takes a little bit of time and a a little bit of, a little bit of patience. And I mean, it's, it can be found. Another development that I want to talk to you about before I let you go is resignation of Keystone Nielsen as the Secretary of Homeland Security. It is speculated that her resignation was because she was not tough enough on immigration. Although, I mean, we've seen that under her tenure, family, there were family separations was, uh, were occurring and children have died in ICE custody. It is now being said that Stephen Miller, the, the architect of Trump's immigration policy, will have more power in light of Nielsen's departure. Is that worrisome to you? It's concerning if, if former Secretary Nielsen was not enough of a hawk on immigration mm-hmm. policy if that is the case and the president is going to put somebody in that cabinet position who is more aggressive than she is, then yeah, that's concerning because like you said, it was under her supervision that child separations happened, which as we know was in place only for a few weeks, but created problems that are going to last a very, very long time. And then also it was under her supervision. And in fact, I think if, if you if you listen to some of her testimony before some of the committees in the House, hmm. you will learn that actually, so there was this policy that, that was put into place uh, that is colloquially referred to as remain in Mexico, which what it did mm-hmm. was that when, when it authorized for U.S. immigration officials, when they received somebody at the border who was applying for asylum, they could sort of do intake and take in their application and then push them back into Mexico. And this is something that appears to be something that Secretary Nielsen, prior to being secretary, was something that, that she was in favor of and hadn't happened before. And this is very problematic just from, I mean, 
you don't even have to, without even taking into account like what what kind of conditions like these people might be in in, in Mexico or or might they be like in some sort of risk. They just don't have access to like to due process because it's still unclear how they would have access to a lawyer in the United States if they are in Mexico. Um, right. And so, so this is an example of the type of policy that was put into place under Secretary Nielsen. So in a way, sure, if President Trump wants to put somebody in that position who is more aggressive than she was, then that, that is concerning because, I mean, arguably there were human rights violations under Secretary Nielsen, and then perhaps it could be worse under a new secretary, right? Right. On the other hand, I don't know. I mean, I think that, I don't know, I I think we shouldn't really focus on that too much because, I mean, ultimately, I mean, the president is going to do what he wants to do, and he's going to make that secretary do what he wants, and if not, he's just going to keep on looking until he finds somebody who does work. Can you, by the way, suggest any reliable sources to look into when people want to know, get more information, especially on the migrant situation at the border? Okay, the first thing that, that comes to mind is to look at Pew Research's work on immigration because they have like, they're just, they're just like amazing with just like hard, anything that they say, they substantiate with like, with evidence and like hard numbers. So I would look at Pew Research's work on immigration. And then there's a couple of think tanks, but all their names are so similar. And some are somewhat partisan, and I don't want to mix them up. So can I can I get back to you on that? On like what are the ones that I would actually recommend? Absolutely. If you could, yeah, if you could give us some names, I'll post it on my website. I recently saw an Oxfam report which talks about all that's happening. So I would recommend that people can go and look at that, and I will post a link on my website as well. But thank you so much, and thank you everyone for listening to my pod, supporting it, subscribing to it. We have a Patreon account, so do check it out you can follow us on twitter our twitter handle is at chronicles alien and you can find us on instagram at the alien chronicles please stay tuned for our next episode when we will bring you another immigrant story and in the meantime stay connected